Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you yet another awesome episode of the podcast. Uh, this is episode 34 with Jim Mafood, who is a really amazing artist. I've seen him at a few cons, uh, mostly in the Pacific Northwest, because I can only travel so far on my own dime before I go bankrupt. Uh, but Jim, uh, I talked to him a few times, and he's just a really nice guy. He did a, a piece for me at last uh, this last Comic-Con um, and it was great. Turned out awesome. We do talk about it in the podcast a little bit. But uh, yeah, he's uh, currently the artist on uh, Miami Vice Remix uh, for Lion Forge and IDW, uh, along with Joe Casey being the, uh, the writer. And they, they work together quite a lot, which we also discuss in the episode. So why don't we just get into the episode so you can listen to all the stuff that I'm telling you about? Because Jim and I, uh, we, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, it's really, it's, I, I enjoyed it. He's a really funny, really... Um, uh, insightful guy. So, uh, yeah, have fun and come back for more. When the little blue bird who has never said a word starts to sing I just learned that William Shatner is trying to take Seattle's rainwater or something. What? Whoa, that's a thing? It is. I don't, I don't, I, I saw it kind of yesterday and then today a friend of mine like was posting it on, on Facebook. Oh, wow. He's all like, yo, let's just take Washington's water. It's like, oh, them's fighting words, Shatner. Shatner has lost his mind, man. <laughs> Apparently. Um, you know, the, I tried using the, um, video on my Skype last night and it hasn't been working. Oh, so that's I'm... fine. I just do audio, so. Okay, cool. 
cool. We're, we're cool. I don't I don't have to see your face. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to see... I want to today. It's horrifying. Oh, no. Did you shave or something? <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm good. <laughs> it's like, no, it's just a mess. Oh, I just can't yeah. put my face on today. Yeah. I, it's not too big of a concern for me. I pretty much look the same all the time, yeah. so... No, me, me too. Every morning I, uh, I wake up and I look pretty much like a mad scientist and have to tame that mane of hair. So. That's great. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. No, I, sh- I feel like I should start taking pictures in the morning. Like, this is what it is. Like, every morning. Right, right. <laughs> then I feel that's just putting too much of myself out there on the internet. Yeah, I, you know, I just put my art out there. I don't, I can't really, it's weird to get personal. Yeah. I think. I have uh, I have friends who are like too much information type people. I mean, they just go so in depth into their lives. I'm just like, no, I can't do that. Yeah, I know. It's everyone's different, but it's uh, there's a line for me. You mm-hmm. know? So it's like, yeah, uh, I I never post like relationship status or anything like that. I'm just like my business. Y'all yeah. can just keep out. <laughs> yeah, it's good to keep things certain things like. You know, just your own. Yeah, exactly. So welcome to the podcast where we talk about your entire life. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Right. Gotcha, journalism. Ha <laughs> ha. I win. <laughs> you, you tricked me into this. Yeah, exactly. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha this time, my food. <laughs> nice. Well played. I know. That's that's what I do. <laughs> Lure you in. Excellent. Um. But yeah, so, uh, I mean, how, how have you been since Emerald City Comic Con? Oh, great. Just, um, it's been a great year so far. Um, just like a whirlwind of new projects, and, um, I have, I have no complaints. It's been, it's been a great year so far. Excellent. Yeah, the, uh, Miami Vice remix is, uh, it's going strong with the number one issue, right? Yeah, yeah, that seemed to do pretty good. I was, um relieved that everyone seemed to like it all the reviews were pretty positive mm-hmm. um issue two drops tomorrow awesome um and then we have three more after that so uh yeah it's kind of cool i mean i drew the entire thing last year and then oh, really i ended it all i finished up in december right before the new year and mm-hmm. then this new year started and i have like all new projects, and then I have all the Miami Vice stuff that's coming out that at least, you know, will uh, keep people occupied while I'm working on the next stuff. So you can be, just be like, hey, I got this, just everyone back off, I'm doing other stuff now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is like, I think with comics and making things and making art, it's like, the trick is, how do you constantly put out new quality stuff and not sacrifice you know um the quality or your own um sanity you Mm -hmm. know making making the stuff yeah it's it's definitely like and i think that people have a a hard time not not understanding but there's just no correlation between like when a product is actually made and when it comes out right Uh, because with comics it's like oh every every week i get like a whole slew of them and Obviously, it was planned out so close to the chest and all that kind of stuff. Where, in, where in fact, you know, you you finished this a, a year ago, basically. Sure, exactly. Uh, 
so like the the time frame is just so it's just so weird i think for you as the creator and then for like people like me who are the readers yeah and the other thing is you know you might work on something for three months or something and something like that and then it comes out people read it in like 10 or 15 minutes yeah (laughs) and they're sort of like well great where's the next one Mm mm-hmm and the time it takes to make it to the time it takes to consume it is completely unequal. Yeah. You know? So that, I mean, that's just the challenge of, especially comics, obviously. It's a very labor-intensive way of uh, drawing and making stories in visual form. And then the way that we consume them and read them, I mean, most people can read a, a thin comic book in, like, you know, like I said, like 10 minutes or something. Yeah, thereabouts. <laughs> so... It's kind of uh, this weird science that I'm still trying to figure out of like, how do you, how much time do you invest in stuff, you know, as opposed to just letting it go, you know? How do you think you're doing so far? (laughs) I think I did good. I mean, I was uh, happy with my um, output last year because I did, uh, basically with Miami Vice, we did 10 it was supposed to be a digital comic book first. Mm-hmm. So we did, I did 10 digital issues in one year, which translates into five print issues. Okay. So if you look at the print comics, one page of the comic is actually cut in two. Mm-hmm. And the top half is a huge image that I drew on 11 by 17 paper and the bottom half is a huge image I drew on 11 by 17 paper so um I still drew 10 issues at 24 pages each wow and that gets chopped up and put together into five comic books um so do 10 issues then do all my other freelance and to travel and do comic book conventions um I feel like it was a pretty good, productive year last year. Do you, do you try to do as many conventions as possible, or do you have like certain ones that you like to do? Um, it's both. I there's certain ones that are at the top of my list, like Emerald City, and then the other ones are basically the ones that promoters reach out to me and invite me as a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that took like 18 years for me. I mean finally after 18 years promoters are kind of like reaching out to me and saying hey we'll cover your trip we'll give you a table mm-hmm. would you be a guest at our show and i usually say of course like that that's a great that's a great arrangement for me um so you kind of have you you know it's hard to say no when you've been waiting for 18 years for people to invite you you're waiting to get invited to the table and it's finally happening yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh my career has been a slow burning thing. Like I've never really had overnight success with anything. So mm-hmm. it's, it keeps getting better and better each year. And I feel like things are really finally starting to get pretty good. Like some really interesting things are starting to happen. Awesome. Yeah. I was, I was kind of like, I was doing a little research on you beforehand uh, just to, to get all my, uh, my ducks in order. Uh, and so I didn't realize that you had done the, um, the clerks, uh, comic way back when, like that yeah. was, that was like your breakout, I guess, uh, and, comic. Yeah. That really working with Kevin and his crew, that was a huge deal. That was, uh, 
that was a great time and a great way to kind of like make my first mark, you know, in comics because I mean, obviously that book came out, it was super huge because of Kevin Smith's name. Mm -hmm. So I was an unknown at the time and it was, it was good for me because I could just kind of ride Kevin's coattails into (laughs) attention and we got to do all these crazy signings and, and do comic book conventions and, uh, Oni Press had just formed at the time and it was cool to be part of their company at the, at the, like the ground floor in the Mm -hmm. beginning. Um, how did they, um, how'd they find you? Uh, I was in San Diego Comic Con in in 97 and, uh, I was doing a book for, I got this crazy gig doing a book for Marvel called, um, Generation X Underground. Okay. And it was a X-Men Gen X book that I was writing and drawing. And so I went to San Diego to show um, editors what I was doing. The book wasn't finished yet, but I was giving out like samples of, you know, photocopies of the pages. And I met um, Bob Shrek and Joe Nosmack, who had created uh, Oni Press. And they had a booth set up there and they literally had no product out yet. They had a poster hanging up for um, Frank Miller and Simon Bisley's Bad Boy comic. Mm-hmm. And they had a poster hanging up for Kevin Smith's Clerks comic book, which Gilbert Hernandez from Love and Rockets drew this fantastic cover. Yeah. And so Shrek saw my artwork and was like, hey, we're actually here looking for the artist of this Clerks comic book. <laughs> the cover's right behind me. Do you know Kevin Smith's work? And you know, <laughs> Of course, I was like, yeah, I you know, love his movies. And so Kevin was there, and I got to meet him real quick. And um, we all started talking. And then, like a week later, Shrek just called me and said, hey, can you, you know, do some sketches for us and just show us your take on these characters? And then, long story short, I just I wound up getting the gig. No, it's really cool. I mean, uh, what was, I mean, did you work closely with Kevin? Or was it more just like, you know, sending emails back and forth or something like that? Um, he, this is crazy, but I didn't even have a computer at the time. (laughs) It was like 97. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I had just moved from the Midwest to Arizona, and I was like really, really poor at the time. So, um, he just sent me a full-blown script, and it was a super, super tight Kevin Smith script with like, all the stage direction, all the panel breakdowns, all the super elaborate dialogue. And um, it was the first script I ever drew from. I had never worked with a writer before. Oh, okay. So I kind of, you know, like bullshitted my way through, through some of it or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, at the very, I mean, in the middle and at the very end, Kevin and I just talked on the phone a couple times and he basically told me that he was he was into it like there was no major changes or revisions like he was the easiest guy to work with uh bob shrek and the guys at oni were super easy to work with and very kind to me and uh and that was the experience was great and then the book came out and it was like this huge success and it sold out like at least seven or eight different times It, it went to like seven or eight different printings mm-hmm. um and i just kind of got to be part of this weird whirlwind uh kevin smith 
thing. You know, it was, it was really cool. People just like handing you joints wherever you were. And... <laughs> well, like, yeah, I mean, Jay too, you know, Jay would be around and those guys, we would do signings together at conventions and people would just bring tons of drugs to Jay. Especially. <laughs> um, was there and, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. It was just a, it was a funny time. It was just a weird, like kind of a really cool way to um, start a career that's been like pretty pretty surreal the whole way through yeah uh was there a, a particular character you liked drawing like more than others or did you just like the whole thing i mean i i was a jay and silent bob guy for sure just because mm-hmm. they um i mean i grew up in the midwest in st louis and those guys are jersey kind of guys but they totally reminded me of people i knew in yeah. st louis you know just the the slacker stoner guys that just hang around town and just cause shit and don't really do anything but they're really really funny you know and you you um root for them yeah they're yeah. like the um the shaggy and scooby kind of characters yeah yeah and the thing with them that was so great is we were when we were in art school clerks came out and we all everybody in art school thought that movie was so brilliant and when you only get a small taste of Jay and Silent Bob, it's like you like them even more. Yeah. You know, so at the time, it was only, I think Clerks, Mallrats, and Chasing Amy had come out. I started drawing the book, and Jay and Bob were still kind of a special novelty thing. You know, they had never had, like, their own movie or their own cartoon yet. They so. were, like, the main characters of everything. <laughs> right, right. So it, was, it still felt like really special and fun to be able to draw those guys. <laughs> have you, uh, have you kept up with, with clerks and everything? Like, did you see the second movie? Yes. Yes. I got to, um, we did a comic book tie in thing with the second movie that was in full color. That was, um, in this really nice deluxe clerks collected book that graffiti designs put out. Oh, sweet. So, I don't know if this is going to happen, if it's there's going to be a Clerks 3 movie, but Kevin and I sort of had an agreement that with each Clerks movie, we would do some sort of comic book thing. Oh, that's awesome. So we did the Clerks 2 thing, and then I was living in L.A. at the time, and I actually got to go to the uh, premiere, mm-hmm. uh, which was hilarious because we got to ride in a limo with Jay to the premiere, and we got out, me and my friend Jeff... We got out on the red carpet with Jay. Oh, wow. And didn't realize we were on the red carpet. And I just sort of like ran down the red carpet. (laughs) No, no paparazzi wanted to take photos of me and Jeff. Like they all were, you know, taking photos of the cast and crew or whatever. And uh, they didn't just assume you were part of the cast. No, no, they like saw us come out and their cameras were raised. Mm-hmm. And none of them shot photos of us. It was hilarious. Oh, you had one of those moments where, like, the the unknown gets out of the car, yeah. and, and they're like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it was super weird. And like I said, we didn't know that we were stopping and getting out at the red carpet. We <laughs> So Jeff and I were like, we ran down the carpet and just went into the theater. Like, this is too weird. We don't want to be part of this, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the high celebrity kind of stuff is not your not your bag? It was just, I mean, it, you know, it was 
was it was their night. It wasn't. <laughs> I, I've just been lucky to like go along for the ride on these weird things, you know. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's my thing, then sure, I'll talk to people or have my photo taken. But you know, Jeff and I were like, we have no business even being here. I don't know what's happening, but I, I just need to get off of this red carpet. Like, oh, damn, it's really red. <laughs> yeah. Alarming. Strange. It's alarmingly red. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Uh, well, and, and so moving on from Clerks, uh, so you were you started doing a lot more of your own, like, it was just more creator-owned stuff, wasn't it? Yes. So I established a good relationship with Oni, and then um, I just wound up doing, like, a bunch of creator-owned stuff for Oni, like the, the first Girl Scouts mm-hmm. comic book series, a book called um, Stupid Comics, um, uh, just a bunch of stuff. And I, I, I worked with them for years, and then Bob Streck, the main guy, wound up leaving and uh, going to DC Comics to become the, uh, the main Batman editor. Mm. And so once Streck left, I sort of bounced as well and brought all my creator-owned stuff over to Image. Okay. Um, do you feel like you you could do all that creator-owned stuff because Oni was, was a bit young at that time? Like, it, it gave you some freedoms to do that? Yeah, completely. They, they were so great. And Bob, you know, was a very, and is a very respected and famous guy in the comic book scene. And before Oni, he was at Dark Horse and he edited all the Frank Miller Sin City stuff and um, just a very smart, experienced, great guy. And um, when he left Oni, I he was my main connection there. He was mm. my 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 main dude there. So yeah, when he left, things um, sort of changed a little, and I just uh, felt more comfortable going over to Image, and I, I became uh, friends with um, Jim Valentino, who I didn't realize, but he's like a huge underground black and white comic book fan, and he saw what I was doing and understood it and uh, kind of extended the invitation for me to, to join up over there. And were you doing more creator-owned, or uh, were you working with, um, I guess, other writers and artists at all? Um. Image has always been creator-owned. I, I started off there doing a new Girl Scouts series called Girl Scouts Work Sucks, and then I continued with Stupid Comics, and we eventually did... Joe Casey and I did um, a book for Ziggy Marley called Marijuana Man. <laughs> uh, okay, you have to talk about that. Okay. And, uh, completely another surreal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, Image is, Image is great because they sort of let you do whatever you want. You pitch them your project, and if they say yes, you make the project, and then you turn it in when it's finished. Okay. And they publish it. So it's almost like self-publishing, but you have someone else handling um, the distribution and printing and, and all the business stuff that you don't want to do. <laughs> you know like, what I mean? You it's take just, over this part. I don't know. Yeah. It's like the creators are allowed to be the creators. Cool. Um, well, let's get back to Ziggy Marley for a second here, because I, I find this very interesting, because you've gone from Kevin Smith now to Ziggy Marley. 
Um, so what was the process of making that comic? Was it, it was for him specifically or did he like pitch a story, something like that? Yeah, he, he came up with this idea for this character and, um, Ziggy's neighbor is this guy named Tom Martin, who's an old school Hollywood art director. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Tom contacted me on behalf of Ziggy and said, Hey, I miss the weirdest thing ever. And he's like, I'm next door neighbors with the Marleys. <laughs> Ziggy has this concept. We both love your art. Can we meet with you and pitch it to you? I was like, yeah, this sounds like the weirdest thing ever. Definitely. So Ziggy Marley and Tom came to my apartment and <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing ever. Cause I'm a huge, huge, um, music fanatic mm -hmm. and I'm obviously a huge Bob Marley fanatic and I have all his records and, I've got some of Ziggy's records as well. And so to have Ziggy Marley like sitting in my living room <laughs> on my couch, it's like Bob Marley's son is sitting on my couch. Mm -hmm. That was just a, one of the oddest, most awesome experiences and super, really super nice, sweet, humble guy. And basically he pitched it to me. It's about a superhero who derives his power from, THC. Oh, like you do. Yeah. Which is real. Yeah. Um, and so this was so weird. I, I, <laughs> I got my buddy Joe Casey involved, who I like to collaborate with, and Joe agreed to write it. I drew it, and Image published it as a one-shot um, hardcover graphic novel. Okay. <laughs> it came out. We did a signing, wow, um, three years ago, four years ago. On 420. Of course you did. <laughs> Signing, like, the four-year anniversary was yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and, man, the signing was unbelievable. It was fantastic. Does, I mean, in, in what way? It was at it was at Golden Apple Comics uh, in uh, L.A. on Melrose, and we had... My friend came in and DJed inside the comic shop. Uh, the Marleys had the event catered with uh edible marijuana oh my god really so it was kind of on the down low but basically everybody there got super super high <laughs> just hung out in the comic shop with loud music playing all day it was a beautiful event we had a huge line down the block and um we signed and i drew in like every single person's book and mm -hmm. Different Marleys were there. They're all just really lovely, positive, wonderful people, as you can imagine. Yeah. Did um, um, Did Ziggy perform? He did not, but um, he was just, you know, excited and having a great time just being there, you know. People, like, freak out over him because of the legacy of their family, you mm -hmm. know. it's. I mean, I, I was very flattered and work with him and meet him but people were like people come in that are marley fanatics that were just like, like losing their mind it was so crazy to watch it like people that could barely talk or people that were crying oh wow or you know because he there's something um magnetic and magical about their family when he and, looks so much like his dad uh, too oh, and the other thing is after working with him he, he invited us to meet my friends to a couple different uh, concerts of his in L.A. And when he performed...
performs Bob's songs, he looks and sounds exactly like Bob. And it's like he's channeling the energy of his dad. And it's, it's very, very uh, electric and epic performance. And it kind of left me starstruck. Like, I went backstage after one of the shows and was just like, holy shit, dude. Like, <laughs> this is like, you know, you're doing the big work. Like, you're doing your dad's work. He's got his own shit, too, which is great. But... Mm-hmm. When he performs those classic songs, people go crazy. I mean, yeah, it's like it's like that last connection to him uh, yes. through Ziggy. I mean, I don't know if his other siblings look like Bob at all, but Ziggy's the one who's got the the biggest career, I suppose. Yeah, and Ziggy is carrying on the legacy, protecting the legacy of Bob. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it was just it was just a great super weird fun project to be involved in and uh i love the unpredictableness of things like that like freelance stuff that comes my way that you know i would have never uh predicted well, <laughs> you know? and you do so much of it too like I, I you know i saw like your your artwork on um bedhead products and yeah. uh like you've done like malt liquor uh advertisements as well yeah. Like, is that just another case of them calling you and just being like, hey, we like your stuff. Would you consider doing this, uh, this line of products for us? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of cool, you know, after 18 years of having a career and also with the internet, obviously, you don't really know who exactly is looking at your stuff or who it's reaching. Mm -hmm. So... You know, to just get random emails from people sometimes is just so funny and exciting where that's how mostly it happens. Someone will just email me and say, hey, we have this project. Do you want to talk about it? Would you consider it? And uh, if it works out, it's great. Yeah. Are there are there things that you yourself seek out? Like you're, you're interested in a product and you're like, I would love to draw this thing for you. You know, it, does it does it work that way as well? Um, if I can get access to people, yes, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's also going about that tactfully and not, um, creating awkwardness or (laughs) stepping over a boundary, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I eventually got to draw Tank Girl, which was a huge deal for me. It's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that just came about because Alan Martin, the original writer and co-creator of Tank Girl, we just became friends on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I sent him a message, and just, just like, ah, oh, what the hell, I'll just say, hey, Alan, much respect to you and Jamie Hewlett, love the book, had a huge influence on me, and he wound up responding and saying, do you want to try and work together, do you want to maybe draw the next book and I did not (laughs) expect that to happen at all and it wound up working out great and it was so fun to do no it's and it's a really great book too and uh I mean again you're um because I wanted to I forgot to mention this before but your your style is just so there's you know to not to to gush too much because I know you'd probably get all like oh no 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 (laughs) but (laughs) but it's it's so energetic like there's a I, again, there's like an energy that comes off of it. And I don't, how, where did you hone that style? Um, 
or how, I guess. <laughs> it was always through listening to super energized music while drawing and also lots and lots of just straight kind of like spontaneous, uh, straight to ink drawing in sketchbooks. Like, don't worry about the finished product. Don't worry about penciling. Just kind of go for it. Let the pure, this sounds so lame, but it's like, <laughs> let the pure subconscious of it come out and be, you know, something that is hopefully exciting and dynamic to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I'm really trying to do is convey movement through static images. I'm trying to convey the illusion that, like, this should s- subtly look like it's vibrating or moving. Mm-hmm. And I've been really lucky because I work with this this kid named Justin Stewart um, who colors my stuff. And we've been working together for over 10 years. And Justin sort of figured out how to color my work as well to make it look and feel that way. So, and I also work with a guy named Steve Chun who helped with um, Miami Vice. And, and these guys and I work together to really figure out how to make static imagery look like it's moving. It's, it's basically like an optical illusion we're trying to pull off. Yeah. And the looseness of the line work, sometimes it's loose, sometimes it's tight. Um, there's a rhythm of, uh, There's a rhythm to it that is trying to echo the rhythm of music. Mm-hmm. No, that's re- no, that's really cool. And, I mean, it's one of those things that when I've done reviews for comics, like, it, it very much motion uh, within the comic itself is important to me because it can so just look like a two-dimensional drawing. Um, but- Completely. But when you can get something where it's like, I know exactly how I would fill in that motion, you know, as it's happening. Uh, I mean, that's that's a skill. I mean, that a lot of people, you know, sometimes don't have. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's tough. It's a weird balance of um, with comics, like conveying the action, the idea and the storytelling mm-hmm. all in one without confusing the reader's eye you know it's like how do you pull off the most dynamic action shot make it stylized hyperkinetic but also allow the reader's eye to recognize what they're looking at in like one second you know yeah (laughs) um i love hyper detailed crazy insane artwork um like jeff darrow or something like that but sometimes Mm -hmm. if you go that insane the reader's eye gets confused and it, it can um, break up the smoothness of the storytelling. Yeah. There's a, there's two, there's stuff that can look like so busy. You're just like, I don't know what to focus on. Yeah. And then there's other stuff where you're just like, okay, it's just the minimal amount that like, Oh, okay. I'm supposed to focus on this car right now. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's, it's weird. Cause in the era of modern movies, action movies, CGI and stuff, it's like, some of it is so overwhelmed with visuals and quick edits and quick cuts Mm -hmm. that it's almost like they don't really need to show us what's going on. It's... Yeah. And some of that works, but sometimes if you go back and watch like an old 70s action movie, Mm -hmm. it's like they had to really, really carefully plan everything out because, um... There was none of this, like, hyper-editing. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's like uh, you go back and watch The French Connection, 
Yeah. And that that whole car chase. I mean, there's there's very little dialogue at all, and it's just all relying on you being kind of in the car at the same time as all this stuff is going down. I yeah, I just watched that recently on Netflix. Oh, there you go. <laughs> with, uh, with Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman. It's, it's a great movie, and another one I always go back to is you know Taxi Driver. Oh, uh, yeah. There's not a, sh- a lot of action in that movie, but the way, obviously, that Scorsese shot it all is completely brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's like next level. I mean, I would rather watch that than a modern, hyper-stylized cut movie where my eye doesn't even really know what it's looking at. Yeah. It's, you know, like when you see, like, the Michael Bay kind of style of, like, bam, 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 bam. You're like, I want to see the Transformer actually transform. That would be great. Thanks. That's funny. That was my main complaint about the first Transformers movie. I didn't see the rest, but... Yeah, I stopped after one. (laughs) The first one, there were so many shots and scenes where I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I, I see metal... I see things blowing up and shit, but I don't really know <laughs> what is happening here. Like they're they're cheating us by cutting it this way. Yeah, you know? you you'd think um, in a movie about transforming robots, it would be it would be a no brainer as how to do that. <laughs> like, I know, man. It's a weird. It's a weird science, you know. It's um, with comics, though. It, it, you know, you're there is no real edits obviously it's something that's on paper so you know you can get creative with it and still have fun and still hopefully convey the ideas it's it's something that i'm still figuring out even doing it over half my life i mean there's a whole science to this stuff that you you just you get some of it you know after you've just done it for so long is it is that is that still fun for you, or is it does it have a level of frustration where you're just like, man, why don't I have this yet? It, it's fun. I have a blast. It only gets frustrating when I look at other people's stuff that are you know I consider better than me. And it's mm-hmm. I'll look at um, a Sean Murphy comic book, mm-hmm. or even Greg Capullo's stuff on the new Batman, um, some of his action stuff, and I get bummed out that I'm not doing that, you know, we're all different, but sometimes there's stuff that other guys do that I'm like, damn, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) You know, like, oh man, that is brilliant, you know, but I mean, I I think that's kind of cool with, we all have our own styles of drawing, we all have our own styles of, um, telling the story as well Mm -hmm. so um it keeps it exciting you know and the whole point of my work and my brand or whatever you want to call it is i I just want to be known as doing my own thing so the 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 comics the illustrations if i'm painting a mural if i'm doing animation or product design it all fits in this universe that i've just created so you know, I have to be content with knowing that there's a purpose for all of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, especially with uh, Miami Vice, I mean, no, no one can, I don't think that there's any way to really copy your style and and pass it off as yours, because it's just so distinct. 
you know, which is awesome because you're like, you can pick out a Jim Mafood, you know, uh, you know, a, a comic or a piece like a mile away. You're just like, oh, that's it right there. That's great. That's <laughs> what I want. No, that's and it. Set out to do, you know. Well uh, done, sir. I mean, I have one of your pieces now, so it's like, yay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Death and Delirium, and it would have helped if I had um, spelt Delirium's name right when I first put that out there, but... (laughs) Yeah, did I spell it wrong? No, I did when I was, like, putting it out on Twitter. Okay. And I'm the writer, so I have to be like, Delirium, oh shit, there we go. (laughs) Is it it D-E, or is it D... It's D-E... D-E-L-I-R-I-U-M, I I think. Yeah. (laughs) It's an easy one to misspell. It is, and I, I've seen people put the E instead of the I, but I was just like, no, I, I write good. Me write good now. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like that part of you that goes like, ah, oh, Twitter has seen my mistake. I have to leave now. <laughs> but the good thing about that is Twitter will probably, hopefully, forgive and forget in like five minutes. Oh, pretty much, yeah. And, and I'm sure with my with my feed, it's like, what, you put a tweet up? I don't, I don't understand. What? <laughs> so. Oh. Yeah, Twitter is my, being a visual guy, Twitter is, like, my least favorite of the social medias. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think it's definitely geared toward writers and comedians, and whereas on the flip side, like, Instagram is the best for me because I can just crush it every day with visuals. Yeah. And I don't even really have to say anything. I mean, I'll still put text in there, but it's kind of like... You know, it's just strictly visual based. Do you like doing kind of like the uh, the process of creating a piece, like doing that in Instagram, like going shot by shot kind of thing? Um, yeah. I mean, I do. It's interesting to gauge what people respond to. Mm-hmm. You know, like the biggest thing for me now is um, I've just been shooting the fifteen second Instagram videos of me drawing, mm-hmm. and those get the biggest responses. Oh, really? And people, all the comments are questions about, like, what pen are you using? What ink are you using? How do you do, you know, it's all (laughs) technical shit where it's, like, the big answer to all of it is you just have to sit down and draw, man. It's not (laughs) the pen. It's, it's like, 20 years of just straight drawing, you know? Do you find that's coming from, like, people who are trying to, like, break into the business or just, is it just random curiosity? I think it's just kids that are curious, which is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll always encourage new people who are trying to figure out drawing. It's it's a complicated thing to uh, to engage in, to, to figure out, you know, it's, there's so many different avenues of, of, of doing it and. I'm still a huge fan of art in general, comic books, pop culture art, and seeing other people's work, seeing the way they work. It's still fascinating to me because we all approach it in a different way. You know, I, I love watching other people draw, and if people like watching me draw, that's that's cool too. But it's just interesting to see how each person makes decisions and like makes marks. Have you ever tried to um, basically like ape someone else's style? I mean, just even for fun? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, in the beginning when 
when I, you know, when I was in college, I was blatantly ripping off Jamie Hewlett stuff because I, when I first saw his work on Tank Girl, I just thought it was the freshest, most exciting, innovative style I had seen. Mm-hmm. And so I saw what he was doing. I saw how irreverent the comic book was. The whole thing was just a huge middle finger to like everybody and <laughs> authority figures and government and religion. And I just thought it was so punk rock and innovative that I, you know, I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started my Girl Scouts thing. Like Girl Scouts was just sort of a blatant tank girl ripoff. <laughs> And yet people are always like, yeah, Girl Scouts, woo! Yeah, and then what's great for me is it came full circle where I actually got to draw the real Tank Girl. Yeah. So I got to draw the source of my inspiration. And then now that i finished Tank Girl, I'm back to doing new Girl Scout stuff. Sweet. So if you've if you've completed the circle, does that mean you have to like say your name backwards and then you go to your planet of origin? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Like, uh, what is it? Mitzelplik? Yeah, Mr. Mitzelplik, I think. It's like the closest approximation I can get to how his name is probably supposed to be said. Yeah, I think you got it. And and is Batmite the same way? Or is he... Uh, I think with Batmite, you just have to get him to go home on his own or something like that. He has to be, like, bored with you. They're both, like, these elf-like characters that you the way to defeat them is you get them to go home. Yeah, it's it's really weird how a lot of comics and even cartoons, because, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, Flintstones had uh, the Great Gazoo. Oh, right. Yeah, it, it's amazing how, like, these little alien things pop up, and they're like, I'm gonna create chaos for you! And they have to, like, figure out how to get rid of them. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's a, a weird trope. <laughs> It's a uh, reoccurring theme of some sort. Apparently, yeah. I, w- I would actually kind of like it if Mr. Mitzelplex showed up in uh, Batman v Superman Court Case of Justice. Oh. <laughs> He's just like, oh yeah, and then, and then Man of Steel never happened, and let's just continue on from here. <laughs> right. That's, that would be your version of the second movie. That would be, yeah. They're, they're, it just, like, a bunch of random things start happening. It's like, obviously this is the work of another alien being. That'd be amazing if they played the second movie as just a straight comedy. Oh my god. <laughs> it'd be like, just say, screw it to all the Zack Snyder dark shit. Like, let's just make a straight up comedy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really want a Booster Gold, like, Blue Beetle movie at some point. Oh, there, that could be. That could be a comedy. Yeah, that would be like a great buddy comedy kind of thing. Or, you know, take any number of the female characters and just put them together. Be like Black Canary and Zatanna, like the book that Paul Dini recently put out. And Oh, wow, cool. It's like anything like that. Like, I really... Because I, I live in the DC universe most of the time. Like, I love Marvel, but DC's my, my wheelhouse. Got it, yeah. So, it's like... And I love the MCU, the the cinematic universe and everything, but I really want DC to succeed. And it's just, sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm, my heart is just slowly breaking the more stuff I see. Yeah, I, their TV shows, though, I haven't seen um, Arrow or The Flash, but do, do you like those shows? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love The Flash. Arrow is going through this weird, like, you know, up-down thing, depending on the season, but, uh, The Flash is pretty damn solid. Okay, because I've heard 
good things about those shows. Um, it's weird that they figured out the TV thing, but they can't get the movie thing right. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because you like I love Wonder Woman. Like I love Wonder Woman. Like and I really want them to do right by her, but I'm just so like cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's a thing where they sometimes don't know how to translate these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like these characters have been in print as pop culture icons for over fifty years. Oh yeah. We live in a modern era where as a, as a female hero, she has to be depicted in a certain way in live-action format. Mm-hmm. Uh, people want her strong. They don't want her too sexy. They want her this way. They want her that way. And it it, it becomes this... I don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be one of the people making these decisions. No, it's, it's got to be ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it seems like how many focus groups do you think they have to go through before <laughs> they figure out, like, the formula? for presenting these characters it must be insane well and even focus groups are unreliable i mean it's like let's show it to this random group of you know 15 to 25 year old men, uh, boys or whatever um and this group of girls and maybe these seniors like and... yeah yeah i i have no idea and you know in the modern era of making movies like they that's all they do is like focus group the shit out of everything they do Oh, yeah. To the point that, um, I don't even know what, you know, we might just be getting these weird watered-down versions of everything. Let's, uh, I don't, did you ever see, like, Jupiter Ascending? I, I didn't. Okay. So, that movie, I mean, it's, it's gorgeously beautiful trash. I mean, it's, it's not the, (laughs) (laughs) it's not the greatest movie. Um, but there's these clear cuts where you can see, like, okay, they, they cut this down to a point where none of the decisions any character makes make sense. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I gotta believe that there's a bigger movie that they were forced to cut down, but the Wachowskis are also not big on doing director's cuts. So it's just like, all I'm gonna get is this this wonderfully awful movie when there's probably something even bigger and maybe better out there, but you won't show it to me. Right. Right. It's... I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't know if I could have the fortitude to have all those notes and all those other hands in the pie. I mean, that's really one of the beautiful things about doing comics is you are telling stories and it's just you and paper and ink, you know? <laughs> and I imagine uh, you can let it get as big as you really want it to. I mean, especially if it's your, your baby. Yeah, man. And you're, your budget can be, you know, limitless. It's just your imagination. You can have entire story arcs taking place in other dimensions and not worry about a budget for special effects. It's just <laughs> what can you get out of your mind and put down on paper to convey to people, you know? I think there's something really, like, beautiful and pure about that process, you know? Um, I mean, it's like, if you look at... I'm a huge Jack Kirby fan. And oh. if you just look at the universes and worlds and characters he created, that just came out of his mind. I mean, there was really no other frame of reference for any of that stuff. Oh, it's just and so ridiculous and big. <laughs> it's crazy. And from what I understand, like, Jack never took acid or did drugs. or And his stuff looks completely 
psychedelic. Yeah. Otherworldly to me. <laughs> um, so I don't, he was just a naturally like bugged out genius of a guy. Yeah, he just had a he had a, a mind for like a bigger universe and, and he created it and it um I showed you my, my big Barda tattoo at Emerald City, didn't I? Oh that's right, yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's my eternal love of, of Kirby right there. It's just like I put Barda on my arm. Well done. Oh, and then yeah. there was that um there was a Barda a, a knit Oh crochet. yeah, yeah. She was like a crocheted Barda was walking around, I think, on the first day. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, and I think Bart is also one of those characters that you feel kind of like the new gods get thrown to the wayside every once in a while. Yeah. So so when they resurface again, you're like, yeah, Kirby's coming back again. I know. I mean, those characters will stand at the test of time. And I mean, just, I just watched the new Fantastic Four trailer recently. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, those are still Jack's designs. The thing is, is Jack's character. That's basically an alter ego for Jack Kirby. Dr. Doom is Jack's design. So his stuff is, is just timeless. You oh know? yeah. No, one of the, one of the things that appealed to me about uh, Barda and Miracle was that it was Jack Kirby and his wife's relationship. Oh wow. I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, he, he based Barda off of his wife, Roz. Yeah. Uh, and so, and and it just kind of shows you it's it's not unlike um, William Moulton Marston, like how these men relate to women and how that kind of came across in the characters that they created. That Barda is the larger of the two and the more forceful. And <laughs> yeah, because Roz really ran everything and allowed Jack to be the odd genius guy who hung out in the basement and drew like fourteen hours a day. Of course, like. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that that's she was smart enough to re, you know recognize um, maybe we wouldn't have gotten all that Kirby greatness if it, you know if she didn't feed him or whatever you know like, if she was being like Jack what are you doing down there you'll never amount to nothing <laughs> like, uh, yeah well if you're creative and you are in a relationship you have to have a partner that understands mm-hmm. your drive otherwise it's it's not gonna work it's out. just gonna fall apart yeah. <laughs> like... yeah you have to have someone who is basically a cheerleader for mm-hmm. you Oh man, yeah. If uh, if one day we could get a fourth world movie out of DC, I would I would probably be over the moon at that point. I would write that shit. Yeah, <laughs> that done right would be incredible, wouldn't it? Just I mean, even if it was just an animated movie, it would I know. just I know. get Bruce Tim. He's already doing like some dark version of the Justice League right now, so like get him to do a fourth world movie, and then I'll I'll shut up. I'll die a happy camper. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, moving on a little bit more into Miami Vice, like, um, so it's you and Joe Casey once again. Yes. Uh, so how did, how did this one fall into your lap? Um, the guys that formed this new company called Lion Forge, they're based in St. Louis and I grew up in St. Louis. So I know this guy, Lorenzo, who works at the company, uh, I've known him since I was like 15 years old Mm -hmm. and he's a great guy. We're still super tight friends. Um, he told me that Lion Forge was, was getting the license to do all these NBC eighties properties. And I was curious about it. And he started going down the list of all the 
properties. And once he got to Miami Vice, man, I was like, oh, that could be really interesting mm-hmm. to draw. And I kind of threw my hat in the ring and I hit up Joe, you know, to see if he would be interested in writing it. And, and Joe and I sort of, we went to Lion Forge and kind of pitched ourselves as the creative team. And um, we got it. Uh, they were already doing a, a book just called Miami Vice that was based directly on the continuity and the look of the TV show. Mm. We wanted to do a Miami Vice that's set in me and Joe's universe when we do stuff together. <laughs> and so we added the word remix to the title. And that way we didn't have to do the likenesses of the actors. I could kind of draw it my way. We could introduce weird and strange concepts like bath salt zombies. <laughs> and, uh, we, basically, it's just an excuse for me and Joe to get together, have a lot of fun, and do something that we think hasn't quite been done yet. Was this a case where you guys went back and watched a bunch of episodes, or was like Miami Vice still like pretty solid in your mind? It was solid in my mind, and I think the the best thing that happened was I didn't really go back and watch any of the old stuff, but my impression of it is from when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Oh, that's the perfect age. I took that memory of it and put it into the comic book. And ironically, Miami Vice just became available on Netflix. Um, (laughs) I started watching it and a lot of it does not hold up. Like a lot of it. I was sort of shocked when I saw some of it because there's scenes and there's shots. I remember seeing as a kid watching it with my dad thinking, like, this is the edgiest, darkest, <laughs> most badass thing on TV. And at the time, in like 1985, 86, whatever, it really was the edgiest. Oh, yeah. And with the music and parts of the episodes turned into straight up music videos where it was like really long shots with just music to it. And well, even in like the pilot when they used um, Phil Collins. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that had never been done on TV before. So it, it was that feeling and that energy that Joe and I tried to convey, but not the literal show show. Yeah. No, just even reading it where, I mean, they're swearing up a storm and just uh, the captain, I mean, just everything about like the, I mean, like we talked about before with like movement and, and whatnot, it's just, it's so distinct even from the show in, in such a good way. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And my biggest relief was like, I don't, I don't draw um, portraits very well or photorealistically, so my main thing was I don't want to have to make Crockett and Tubbs look like Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to have to depend on real people or real characters, you know? So yeah. we, I was able to kind of design them my way and uh, make it exist in, in my style. <laughs> uh, please tell me they're going to do an A-Team comic. I'm sure they're working on it. Oh my god, that's I'm that's sure. my jam right there, AT. They've got um, Airwolf and Knight Rider and uh, Airwolf, Saved by the Bell, 
Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster, for real? Uh, um, yeah, if you go to the Lion Forge website, and they're actually doing a bunch of this, a bunch of fun, just like weird, weird books. It's cool. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. <laughs> like you got it. Like I, with the A Team, I'm actually really like a huge Starsky and Hutch fan. So. Oh cool, yeah. It's like, watch that. I actually, I have a sweater that's very similar to the cardigan that Starsky wore. Oh, yeah. Classic 70s, kind of, is it, is it a brown or is it white? It's white and then the pattern is kind of like, um, I don't want to say it's Native American, kind of like squares and kind of. Zigzaggy kind of. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I have a picture that I took of myself with it, and with my curly hair, I was just kind of like, I could seriously play Paul Michael Glazer's daughter. Wow. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's like the all-female Ghostbusters. That's like, they're gonna, you should do the all-female Starsky and Hutch. Oh, man, I would be all there. It's just like, I need a blonde partner now to <laughs> yes. drive around in a, a striped red tomato. <laughs> yeah, that car, I mean... That was the other thing is those classic 80s TV show vehicles, like the A-Team van, the Starsky and Hodge car. Oh, yeah. The one thing that we did keep was we kept the black 1970s Ferrari Spider that oh, you gotta. Tums drive. So that was the one thing that, for me, is like, that is so iconic that we can't <laughs> change that you know does uh does crockett still have his uh his uh, he had a crocodile or an alligator the alligator yeah his name is elvis yeah and he's in the book yeah. <laughs> so there's definite there's definite like nods and um homages to the tv show without being the show oh definitely and and i still i still love this that at, at emerald city when i told you about don johnson's music career <laughs> Oh, yes, that changed the game for me. That, I had no idea. <laughs> Heart, yeah, Heartbeat was the, the song. With, with, um, I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan, and <laughs> one of Zappa's, is it Dweezil? Yeah, one Dweezil. Of, Dweezil Zappa on guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Where, I mean, how, how, many, how, how many drugs were involved in that studio session? I have no idea. Together, like, whose idea? Uh, the '80s were an incredible time. It really, it's like the yeah. I wasn't. I was. I was born in the middle of the '80s, so it's just kind of like, man, everyone must have been on cocaine, and it must have been awesome. I mean, I don't know if it was awesome, but I think a lot of really crazy and shitty decisions happened, and that was sort of the. Once the '90s hit, that was sort of the end of that of that excess and that that era. You know, like Eddie Murphy had a singing career for a I while know. too. Party you know? all the time. Yeah, it was just so weird. But if anything, it gives us really great Dave Chappelle sketches. Exactly. Um, so and yeah, because I do love like once you get into the early '90s when grunge started happening, and it's all this like. You know, fuck the access, and I hate you, mom and dad, and right, right. I mean, Nirvana just wearing t-shirts and flannels and not giving a shit was <laughs> that was like the final nail in the coffin of like hair metal and spandex. And, yeah. I mean, once that went to number one, all the hair metal and eighty shit was 
really officially dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what you should do next is something that looks at the transition from the 80s into the 90s. Yeah, that's, that's a weird... Because me and my friends, you know, we, like, lived that. We, mm-hmm. we um, even being... I was a huge, huge fan of MTV as a kid because they actually were a source of uh, pop culture um, information for me. You know, mm-hmm. there was no internet. There was... They played music videos 24 hours a day. Yeah. And uh, before they did reality shows, you know, it was actually a real viable source of... Uh, pop culture entertainment and to see it transition into what it is now something else was a really you know for me and my friends we thought that that was a really disappointing thing to to witness (laughs) yeah because i was in there for the uh i think when they started doing like real world real world and road rules which are awesome to say um Right. Right when they started doing that is, you know, when they started really pulling back on the music videos and, and you're just like, why is this still called MTV? <laughs> yeah, it just became, you know, its own thing. And once everyone figured out that reality shows were super cheap to mm. make, that was kind of the end of good scripted material until... I guess, like, Sopranos came along. Yeah, somewhere around there. And then, with the recent explosion of all these shows now... Yeah, I mean... um, No one could have predicted that TV would become better than movies, you know? (laughs) It's true. No one would think that a a Netflix TV show about a superhero would just be, like, the most super awesome thing you could ever watch. (laughs) Yeah, I still... I haven't gone down the daredevil wormhole yet i'm gonna get into it so. oh yeah you're gonna you, you dug it oh yeah um the the podcast that's gonna go out before this one is all about daredevil so, oh, cool. yeah uh but i don't know if you're a big binge watcher or do you like to do kind of like space it out over a few days or a week or so uh, you know i can only do two or three maybe three episodes at a time mm. probably just two because i just can't it's hard for me to sit there, you know. Um, I don't know how people do the, the binge thing, you know. Yeah, it's it's good that there's I, only 13 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, um, even if it's something interesting, it, it just the idea of sitting in front of the TV for like three or four hours is kind of, I just, I can't really do it. Yeah, I'm always, because I, I, I'm usually, like, working on whatever article I have, and then I'm, I'm so used to having, like, the television on in the background, so I've normally got, like, Food Network on, because I've seen that episode of Chopped every, you know, five days, so, you know, or so. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are watching these shows, but they're actually still on their phones or on their laptops, or they're doing other things while this stuff is going on. Oh, yeah. We're, we're such a consumer, you know, population now. We're just like, I need to be doing five things at once, and three of them are going to involve technology. Right. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Um, so uh, we're, at, we're at over an hour, but I did want to ask you uh, about, because um, we've touched on this with a few things here, your, um, your love of music and how that kind of relates to your art. Sure. Because uh, you've done a lot of, uh, of works that have kind of focused specifically on music. Um, so it's just, you know, what is that relationship with music like to you? Like, what is your background with music? Well, I, um, 
since I was a kid, always associated drawing with music because, you know, my mom had a great record collection and would play records in the afternoon. And I, me and my older sister would be, you know, just laying on the thick shag carpeting and <laughs> drawing and coloring. And when I um, got a little older, I would, I was the kid who, you know, I would just lock myself in my room, crank up the music and draw. So I always associated those two things as being completely interconnected. Um, and then I became sort of a, a, a hardcore music collector, you know, going mm-hmm. out as a teenager and, um, again, pre-internet. <laughs> so we would have to physically buy tapes, CDs, records to own the music, you know? What? No. And we, me and my friends, you know, we formed this network of people that were like dubbing tapes for each other. And I, and I, so I always associated, um, collecting music kind of like with collecting comic books as well. Like I Mm -hmm. loved comics, music, drawing, and all three of them were always interconnected to me. So to me, it's funny because it's like sometimes I feel like making art is almost just like an excuse for me to listen to my favorite records. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like I will go on a binge. I'll go. This is how I binge. I'll go on like a thing where. One week I'll be like obsessed with Iggy Pop or something and mm-hmm. the Stooges. And I'll be like, I'm going to listen to all of Iggy's stuff, all the Stooges records over the course of two or three days. Oh, yeah. And I also have to draw, I have to do my work. <laughs> but the main thing I'm excited about is I'm going to listen to Iggy's whole catalog and just mm-hmm. absorb it and really appreciate it for how great it is. And, or maybe it's the Beatles or Bob Marley or John Coltrane, whatever. So, It was just something that was ingrained since I was a little kid of uh, you put on the music and then you draw and then what you draw winds up kind of reflecting the music in a strange way. Can you kind of look at um, your previous work and and remember what album you were listening to or is it does it kind of like blur after a while? No, I completely remember. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah. And it's even to the point where most of my comics, especially my old stuff in the nineties, they all have soundtracks listed in each issue of what the records were that I was listening to the most when I was working on that book. So that's cool. I almost don't even need to look at the soundtrack. I can kind of just look at the pages and be like, Oh man, I really remember being into such and such when this, when I was drawing this or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just a, it's, I'm just really inspired by by that uh, relationship, you know. I, I sometimes will listen to podcasts, or sometimes I'll listen to uh, Howard Stern, or um, stuff like that when I'm working, but mm-hmm. I can't, like, I've never been a guy who can have, like, TV on, or a movie. I'll, I'll, I'll eventually just get distracted and watch watch the show yeah you know with music it's just this thing that is going into my head it's a pure auditory experience and I'd, I'd imagine with music it's you know since you're especially if you're listening to stuff that you've listened to your whole life it's also just kind of like this sort of background noise but something that you're just so used to that yes. it, it doesn't really factor in that it's a distraction yeah and 
you're exactly right, and and it's there's certain records that are just so familiar and so comforting. It's almost like there's no effort involved. You put it in, you instantly know it. You feel good. You're doing your thing. Yeah. You know, um, it's almost like visiting an old friend and being. There's no awkwardness. You're completely comfortable with each other because you know each other so well. Mm-hmm. And I have friendships and relationships like that that are. I have friends in different cities that I wish we lived in the same city, but it's like when I see them once or twice a year, there's no um, time lost. We just pick up where we left off and there's no, um, there's no awkwardness. We're just, you know, it's like family. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we, we all have one of those, the, uh, a few of those people in our lives were just like, man, I wish I saw you more. But the minute I see you, it's just like, okay, same jokes, like let's catch up, but we're still like um, able to just kind of sink back into that relationship. Yeah. I, I like that, you know, and especially doing art and making a living off it, freelancing, it it can sometimes be an isolating way of living. And uh, when you do go out and have a human contact, you know, <laughs> situation, you want it to be with good people, with legitimate people. And luckily I have that, you know, I have a core group of friends out here that are as close to me as family and most of them are creative. We can get together and share our war stories and support each other and encourage each other and then go our separate ways and go back into our studios and make more work. That's awesome. Um, well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I ran into you a couple of times at different cons, so it's just always cool to talk to you there and again i'm glad i could blow your mind with the uh, don johnson stuff so <laughs> you forever changed my life and it's rare when someone can kind of especially on the music thing it's kind of rare when someone <laughs> can just hit me to something that i had no idea even existed uh-huh. <laughs> now <laughs> now those you know those music videos of his are, are bookmarked, you know, on my computer. And <laughs> occasionally, if I'm feeling I need inspiration from Don Johnson and his, um, for some reason, he's a photojournalist. I don't even know. I, <laughs> there's no explanation for it. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, just go to YouTube and. Oh, I'm going to link that video to this podcast. <laughs> Prepare to have your mind blown by the magic. <laughs> the magic that is Don Johnson. You know, Don. It's like I think that was like during Miami Vice and then before whatever that Nash Bridges show that he did was. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny too because uh, rewatching Miami Vice recently, I, I forgot that he was such a huge mega star at that time. I know, right? But he, he was like this huge sex symbol, and it's funny because I remember my older sister having a poster of him in her room from like one of those uh, like Teen Beat magazines. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, as a kid, I didn't know like that he was uh, a sex symbol. I just thought he was a badass cop on this TV show. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, why does my sister have a picture of him with his shirt off on her wall? <laughs> it's very, very weird to me. You know? um, so I'll, I can one-up you on this one. Uh, all of the foreign language teachers in my high school had huge crutches on Tom Selleck. 
Oh, yeah. And I'm not even kidding. Like, in my Spanish class, there was a three men and a baby, like, cutout thing. And then on top of the ceiling was Tom Selleck playing volleyball. Uh, <laughs> shirtless. In, like, the shorty shorts, but with the, the fine mustache still out there. His mustache is something to be to be adored and, and admired. It, it belongs a, in a museum. A healthy, especially during the Magnum P.I., you know, mm-hmm. era. And again, another classic... 80s show with a classic car, the red Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a very obvious formula to all these shows. Yeah, I think we need to bring that formula back. It's, uh, it's sorely missing. I'm down. Let's do it. All right, cool. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I'll send you the script and we'll get on it. So. <laughs> uh, so, Jim, before we go, where can people find you and is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, um, please check out Vice Remix uh, through Lionforge and being published by IDW. Um, and people can go to jimmafu.com for all my stuff. Excellent. And uh, and I'll, I'll put links in there too when this goes out in about what, a couple weeks, something like that. Sure, that'd be great. Uh, so thank you once again, Jim. Uh, it was great having you on and you're always welcome back as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you.